Hey there, this is Emily Hoover, and we are so glad that you are listening to the Mission Point Community Church podcast. It's our prayer that this helps you grow in your relationship with Jesus and encourages you to show and share the love of Jesus everywhere you go. Thanks for tuning in. Now let's dive into the message. I uh, have the privilege of continuing a series that we've been in that we are calling uh, Grace Overboard. And this is a journey uh, in the Old Testament book of Jonah. Jonah. And uh, whether you've grown up in the church or around the church or whether you are newer to the church, the likelihood is you've heard a little something about this character named Jonah. He is the only person in human history who was swallowed by a massive sea creature and lived to talk um, about it. And we've been getting to know some of his story and how some of his story spills over into our stories in today's day and age. Um, Well, uh, as the story goes, God uh, gives Jonah a very clear calling and assignment. Um, Jonah is a Jewish man whose job it is to represent God, to be a spokesperson on God's behalf, calling rebellious people to repent and return to God. When this story starts, God is giving Jonah a very clear assignment. Go to the city of Nineveh the capital city of the mighty Assyrian empire and tell the Assyrians to turn from their evil ways or I will take them out. And there's no exaggeration, by the way, uh, the Assyrians, um, they were a scary brand of wicked. They were a a movement of people, a nation that uh, figured out more and more creative ways to introduce more and more excruciating physical pain and psychological torment on other human beings. Um, In fact, if you walked through the capital city of Nineveh, you would see that it was decorated by death and decay. And that visual for them was considered beautiful and inspiring for the next generation of kids who were coming up so that they would carry on that legacy of brutality. So God says to Jonah, you need to go and tell those people to cut it out or I will take them out. Not 100% surprising that when Jonah receives this particular assignment, he refuses the calling. He rejects what God says and he goes on the run away from God. Um, And here's what he tries to do. We'll put a map on the screen so you can uh, see it a little bit better. Uh, Jonah, uh, point A, God calls Jonah and tells him, you need to go to point B, which is Nineveh, and tell them to stop their wickedness or I would take them out. Jonah is like, I'm going to go strong no on that one. And then he runs down to Joppa where that little boat is. And Jonah actually gets on a boat in an attempt to run away from God. How many of you know you cannot run away from God? So in Jonah's attempt to run away from God, he gets on this ship and he starts to head towards Tarshish on the far end of the Mediterranean world. Because in his mind, that's as far away from God as I can get. But as Jonah runs, 
God gives a storm an assignment. Can you please go and tell my boy to do what I said? And so he sends a storm on the water and the storm is ripping the boat apart. But even then, Jonah is like, I'm not going to tell the Ninevites what you have said. And he continues to run. At one point, one of the sailors whose life is in danger comes to Jonah and pleads with him, would you please call out to your God? Jonah is like, we are not on speaking terms. I am not doing that. He refuses to turn and do what God says, continues to go. At one point, the sailors actually pick Jonah up to throw him overboard into the violent water. And still, Jonah refuses to turn and go to God. He continues to run. And in his mind, it's almost as though he thinks, maybe I can hide from God in the crashing waves. But God is like, oh, no, you don't. And grace jumps overboard and chases Jonah to the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea. And it's at the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea that Jonah finally cries out to God. In the moment he cries out to God for help, God says the word to a massive sea creature that was apparently on standby for situations just like this one. And this sea creature swallows Jonah whole, not only saves his life, but keeps him safe for three days and three nights. It is in the belly of that sea creature, in the belly of that massive fish, that Jonah finally stops running. He repents from his running and he admits to God, I was wrong. And he recommits to the assignment that God gave him. And the moment he repents and he recommits, God says the word and that massive fish regurgitates Jonah on dry land. We can only assume regurgitates him back in Joppa. And that's where we pick up the story. So if you have a copy of the Bible, Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3, and if you don't have a copy of the Bible, the words will appear up here on the screen. Jonah chapter 3, we're going to start at verse 1, and what happens next is beautiful. Some of the most beautiful words in the whole story. Here's what it says. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1, then... The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I will give you. Ooh, I love Jonah chapter 3, verse number 1. And if you have ever messed up in your life, I hope you love it too. It says the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. After running from God and rebelling from him over and over and over again, the word of God came to Jonah a second time. God gave Jonah a second chance. Jonah, let's try this again. You ran from me, but let's do this again. Second chances. You messed it up, but let's do this thing over. You ran, but let's run it back, Jonah. You blew it, but here's a blank page, a new opportunity. Let's start this thing 
again. Chapter 3 is beautiful. It is literally a repeat of chapter number 1 because that's how God rolls. Shows up to Jonah and says to him, let's do this thing again. Go and give Nineveh my message. I love that. God of second chances a thousand times over, but not just with Jonah. With you, with me, that's the kind of God he is. Yeah, you messed up sexually in order to run from that feeling of loneliness. Let's run it back. Clean slate. Do you need one? Because that's the kind of God he is. Yeah, you've destroyed your body with all kinds of substances because you didn't want to feel the pain. I've chased you down with grace, second chances. Let's run it back. Yeah, you've held on to that grudge because you're running away from my calling to forgive that person who hurt you. In fact, you have included and invited other people to justify your refusal to do what I've asked you to do, which is to forgive that person who hurt you. But here we are again, a fresh batch of grace. Let's do this thing over. Second chances. Yeah, you got caught. You got busted. And you pivoted and you deceived and you told a different story so you could get more creative with doing your thing as you ran into the places that you believed would give you life. And here's my grace saying, clean slate. I'm just saying, if you have ever made a mess of things, this is such a beautiful section of Scripture. Instead of discarding us and and letting us spiral in our disobedience, God goes overboard with grace, chases us down, and offers us second chance after second chance to return and not run from him, but run for him. The question of Jonah chapter 3 is what's he going to do with grace this time? That's the question. Here's a do-over. Let's start again by my incredible grace. And the question of chapter 3, Jonah, what are you going to do with your second chance this time? That's the question. Oh, and that's the question for us. Matter of fact, that is a question that we believe heaven is asking our church as a whole in 2024. I am showing up with incredible grace, second chance after second chance. The question is, mission point, what will you do with my grace this time? Mm. Do you know the thing that I have missed most in the story of Jonah and his running and grace 
and second chances. You know the thing I've missed most in all of the times that I've read this story. I'll tell you the thing I've missed most. What I've missed is the most literal reading of the story. Just missed it. Even just now, as we've reread the story and we've summarized the story, you can hear my propensity, which I think oftentimes is a church's propensity when we read the story of Jonah, is we've made it so figurative. Well, what do you mean, Kondo? No need to ask. I'll tell you exactly what I mean. What's this story about? I'll tell you what the story is about. The story is about some dude named Jonah, set apart by God to be his representative, to be his spokesperson, to be his mouthpiece. And Jonah's job is to call rebellious people to return in repentance. And God tells him very clearly, go and tell that city to turn from their sin. You see it? No, it's lonely up here sometimes. Um, Does that remind you of anyone? I'll tell you, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, check this out. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, that God was reconciling not just cities, but the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, Christ's mouthpieces, Christ's spokespersons, as though God were making his appeal through us. And so we open our mouths and we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. See it? Oh, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I don't know if you knew, but you're a Jonah. A mouthpiece, a spokesperson of grace to runners. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Then Jesus, king of the universe, resurrected from the dead in all of his glorious swag. He came to his followers and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, I'm telling you, go. And make disciples, not just of a city, but of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This is Jesus giving his followers a direct order. As you go, wherever you go, I want you to be my spokespersons, my representatives on earth pointing people back to me. Matter of fact, that is your greatest calling on earth. Woo! Tell people to turn from their sin or Jesus will take them out permanently. No, 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 no. You can't go saying stuff like that in our culture. The Ninevites won't like that. So excuse us if we run from that calling and hide under the ship where it's comfortable and safe. 
I'm just saying in the most literal reading of this book, what is it about? It is about God calling his representative spokesperson to go and tell people to turn to him. And Jonah says, nope. Um, Jesus says to every one of his followers, go and tell those people everywhere you go to flee from sin and to run to me. So I'm just asking Jonah, how is the assignment going? How's it going? Again, I have made a list of the most gruesome, figurative ways in which we all run. Because moving in any direction apart from or away from what God has clearly said is to run. And so I've read the book of Jonah and I think about all of the gross and, and really strange and dark ways that we run and rebel from God. But I've oftentimes missed the most obvious and literal calling in this book and the greatest calling Jesus has given to his church, I want y'all to carry a message for me to those people. One of the greatest ways we run is exactly the way Jonah ran. Share the gospel with the people in your world. Come on. We're like, nope. because you don't know what they would do. You don't know them, Lord. These days are not like your carpenter prehistoric days, Jesus. Like my career would be put in jeopardy, my pension, my friends at school, my followership on social media. Like I will be blacklisted. My family won't have anything to do with this. You don't understand. That calling is costly. And Jesus is like, tell me more, Jonah. Tell me more. We run from him with our silence. And sadly, we believe God doesn't care about that one. He cares about the sex and the substances. So when we preach Jonah, let's talk about those things and the ways we need to repent from those things. And Jesus is like, how about the main thing I've asked you to do? Which is the same thing I asked Jonah to do. And somehow we've said, Jonah, you running rebel. Look at him run. While we're over here all forest gumping ourselves, right? And thinking very little of it. I can get up, I'm telling you, in the church, this church and probably most churches around the country, and admit to everybody, I have not shared the gospel with anybody for a year. And people be like, that was very vulnerable, very cool, okay. See you next week. If I got up here and said, and oh man, I've been dipping into the church funds. Oh no. What kind of pastor? It'll be an article in the paper. Very controversial. This version of running has become the most acceptable one when it is running from the main thing that Jesus has said to do and the church has become cool with it. Like, that's fine. 
I haven't shared the gospel with anybody. That's cool. And there's a whole book dedicated to how God responded when one dude said, nope. I'm just saying, one of the ways in which we need his grace the most is in the area of carrying out the assignment he said is most important. And the fact that you're sitting here listening to me means God is saying to you, grace. Let's run it back. What are you going to do with my second chance this time? And that's the question we believe is asking our church this year. What are you all going to do? Are you going to keep doing amazing things in the name of Jesus and trying to sin a little bit less in those gross ways while you completely ignore the main thing I've asked you to do? What are you going to do with a second chance this time? For Jonah, he's like, I'm done running. I'm done running from my assignment. I'm running towards it. Verse number three, check this out. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and he went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. This is so cool. Just like in chapter one, Jonah gets up, but this time he does exactly what God calls him to do. He heads towards Nineveh. That's what he does with grace. In fact, the Hebrew language is so beautiful in its colorful nature. It uh, pictures Jonah as kind of sitting on the edge of his seat, waiting for the assignment to come a second time. And the minute it does, he rises and rushes off. The language suggests he was quick to obey. How about us? Will we be quick to obey? Or will we drag our feet with excuses as we stall? And every parent, by the way, um, knows what this is like from just the bedtime routine of um, the excuses and the stalling tactics of our brilliant children. Oh, man. And uh, my kids, all at different levels, have just, they get deep and philosophical at bedtime. It is amazing. Dad, but in Deuteronomy it says, I'm like, how do you know Deuteronomy? I've not been that good at parent. Like, they will go deep. But if, but if God is strong enough to to create everything, then why can't he make you give us a later bedtime? Like, I mean, they would go into all of these deep, and I'm like, hmm, 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 right? Um, go to bed. Stop stalling. 
stop stalling, right? Uh, and this is us in the church, like, mm -hmm. is it sovereignty or free will? Which one is it? Gather around, let's pontificate. And God is like, you're just stalling. Stop stalling. Go do what I've asked you to do. Well, what's the right way to share the gospel? Is it the four spiritual laws? Is it the band? Is it a tract? I don't know. Let's ponder that. And God's like, go to bed. Stop it with the stalling already. And I'm not even kidding. We will create classes to stall. We'll make it a five-year course after which we will be ready to go to sleep, right? Um, I'm just saying, Jonah was quick to obey. Stalling is just a cute form of running, except it's not cute to God at all. Is there any way in which you are dragging your feet to share the gospel, to share Jesus, to talk about him and the free forgiveness and freedom that he offers to the people in your world? Whatever your reason is, it is just an excuse. And excuses are just, are just talking back to God, no matter how profound we make them sound. Well, I don't feel equipped. That's just an excuse. Well, I'm not a gifted evangelist like those people who raise their hands in worship in the church. So it's not my thing. And all we're doing is wasting grace. For Jonah, he's like, I am done with excuses. I'm done with stalling. And he quickly obeys with a second chance that he is given. Verse number four. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. <laughs> the Bible is so good. For an entire day, Jonah walks through a third of the city telling everyone 40 more days. And Nineveh will be overthrown. Oh, man, that's good. There's so much to say about that, but let's just make a few observations. Here's the first observation. Um, first, you go. First, you go. God is so often a first-go kind of God, and if you try and interact with him any other way, you will be at a standoff, a standstill with him, missing the beauty of the adventure that he calls you into. First you go, then I'll show. First go. I, I cannot say I totally love this um, about God's MO, but it is consistent in the Bible, and here it shows up again. Look at Jonah chapter 3, verse 2. He says, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message. And the language here is that I will give you. Okay. So, all right, all right, all right. I'll go this time. I'll go. Um, I'm just asking, what's the message? First go, 
then I'll show. By all appearances, God doesn't tell Jonah what the message is going to be. Jonah has a gist of it from chapter one, but God says, no, first you go, and then I'll show you what it is that you need to say. All intents and purposes, Jonah doesn't figure this out or find out until he goes to Nineveh. I, I, for me, I'm like, God, that's not cool. People need information ahead of time as much as possible, especially if you're asking them to do something that could go very badly. This is why the church doesn't do what you've asked them to do, because first you show us and then we'll go. God's like, no, first you go. It's almost a prerequisite for following God. It's like a rite of passage for walking and working with God. First you go. Tells Jonah, go to the scariest place on the planet with no details, just a promise. I'll tell you after you go. This is tough, man. This is tough. God doesn't say like, okay, I know, listen, okay, the last time we did this, you had a major case of the yips, so... I'm going to go overboard to give you all of the information and just comfort you and give you assurances before you leave. He's like, nope, first you go. Then I'll show. I'll tell you what to tell them after you do what I'm telling you to do right now. And some of us are still trying to circumvent God's first go. I would follow God, God just, I would follow so much better if God would just see fit to first tell me everything I need to know and give me everything I need to have. God, assure me, and then I'll accept the assignment. God's like, nope. Show me, and then I'll go. Give me the outcome, and then I'll give you my obedience. And then we end up at this standoff with God, and we say weird things in the church, like, man, I just I wish we saw God move in more, more powerful and incredible ways while we stand on the safe shores of, like, first give me every single guarantee and assurance. And God's like, not how this works. First tell me how my dad will respond. And then I'll take the risk. God's like, oh, no. First go, then I'll show you. Abraham, leave your home and go. Yeah, so where am I going? Well, that's the thing. Go, and then I'll show you where you're going. Hey, Peter, come out. Walk to me on this water. Well, can you first explain to me the, the, the science and the physics of said walking on water? Is it first you step and then you see? And only one dude out of the whole batch of them got to see it. Because he stepped. But how are we going to experience the abundance of, of your, your, your generosity and, and, and resources? It's like, well, first you give, and then you get it. God, first show me my gifts, God. What are my spiritual gifts? God's like, well, um, first, why don't you do something? to help someone not named you. <laughs> no, I know she spilled all this stuff on the ground. And I would help, but I don't know if it's my gift. First, get to work. 
and let's see what happens. God, give me your peace. God is like, give me my praise with thanksgiving. Show me my future and how it will work out first. And God's like, no, first do the thing I've already told you in your past. There is so much of what God has for me that I have not experienced because I'm trying to get it before I go. God's like, no, first you go. Now can we talk about the gospel again? You never get to say, I don't know what to say. Never. You never get to say, but I don't know exactly what I will tell them. First go. Nope, I need to feel completely ready first. Then I'll go. God is like, I've already given you a command. You know what I've said to you. Go. And for many of us in the church, we're like, you're going to have to give me much, much, much more than that, and then I'll go. And I think it's one of the reasons why when it comes to the primary calling Jesus has given us, most of us are running in our silence, in our stalling. You know you've been called to do it, and God would say, first go. The perfect plan, the perfect words are far less important than your quick obedience. First go and start speaking. Matter of fact, if there was an assignment for our church this week, that would be it. Just go to somebody and start speaking. Somebody I believe like I should share the hope of Jesus with. I have no clue what I'm going to say, but I know you've called me to say something. And so you go to this person, you're like, uh, I'm supposed to say something to you about, right? And for us, we're like, I cannot be put in a position like that. So excuse me, Lord, but you understand why I'm, ru why I'm running, right? Because I know things could get awkward. Speaking of which, first you go, but the other observation here is trust is power. One of the reasons I run from sharing the gospel is because I don't feel confident in my words. I'm not sure exactly what to say. I want the perfect Simone Biles dismount and landing every time. And if I don't feel like I have that, then I'm silent. And then verse 4 comes along and reminds us, oh no, first you go, and then you trust his power. Mm. One of our issues as a church if you're anything like me, is I trust my preparation more than I trust his power when it comes to sharing the message or the hope of Jesus. And yet the assignment is not so much about your words as much as it is about his power working through your obedience. Jonah walks into the biggest and baddest city in the world, and when he gets there, here's the message God gives him. Jonah chapter 3, verse 4. 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. What? It's, it's right there in the Bible. 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's the 
message. The whole book of Jonah is built around a task to share a message with a people. And that's the message. 40 more days. And Nineveh will be overthrown. Eight words in our English language, only five words in the Hebrew language. 40 more days. That's the message. And it is a countdown. Wow. For an entire day, this dude goes through the city saying that, I'm just asking you, if you had four years to prepare and to study and go in your closet and to pray, figure things out, ask all the philosophers, get all your friends together, and you write the perfect speech to share the gospel perfectly with the people in your world, would you say that? 40 more, (laughs) I can't even do it in a straight face, 40 more days and then it will be overthrown. That's the message. I'm like, there's not even a lot of information. That's the message Jonah gets. I'm like, what for an entire day? This strange dude is just walking through our city yelling 40 more days. Who is he? I don't know. He's not introducing himself. He's not taking time to, to, to like make friends and connections and LinkedIn, like exchange, nothing. It's 40 more days is what he's doing. Is he making any disclaimers? Like I know how weird it is that I'm walking through your city just saying 40 more days. Nope. That's strange. So 40 more days. What's he telling us to do? Nothing. Just 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. I love this. Now, don't get me wrong. MP Equip. We want to get better at what it means to share God's invitation to hope in Jesus. But the power is not in our best laid plans, y'all, or our precise speeches. It's not in our practicing to make perfect whatever it is we think should be perfect. It's in the power of the Spirit at work through our awkward and quick obedience. I can tell you this, I have never shared the gospel with anybody ever and felt like nailed it. (laughs) Would not change a thing. Simone Biles will be proud. That dismount was perfect. And the clothes? Never, never. Also, I've never, I promise you, I have never shared the gospel with anybody and it went like I thought it would go. Whatever my prepared speech was, it ended up somewhere different. I'm like, I was not ready for that. Which means all of the preparation I did, it didn't even turn out the way I expected it to turn out. I needed this. It's about the power of the Spirit working through the obedient spokesperson who goes and speaks. Matthew chapter 10, verse 18, here's what it says. On my account, Jesus says, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses, as spokespersons, as representatives to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, don't worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, at that time, you will be given what to say, for it will be 
it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Woo! And if you don't believe this, check out what happens in the capital city of death and blood shed. Verse number five. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greatest to the least put on potato sacks. They put on sackcloth. What? It says the Ninevites believed God. Notice how it doesn't say the Ninevites believed Jonah. They believed the God whose power broke through Jonah's obedience. Now, I know an argument from silence can be made that, well, Jonah had to have said more. He had to have explained the whole thing from the beginning to the end. He had to have been profoundly articulate and very practical in his presentation of the gospel. Maybe, but all the Bible sees fit to say is, 40 more days and Nineveh will be over and will be overthrown. And the Ninevites hear that and they repent from their sins, believing God. Woo-wee! It's the power of God at work, which is another reminder, final observation, to just play your part. Just play your part. This is a beautiful weight off my shoulders, by the way. Because again, Jonah must have said more. He had to have said more. Because otherwise, how would they know to proclaim a fast? How would they know to, 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 to put on sackcloth? How would they know that, right? And the reason I would ask a question like that is because I'm still convinced it is in my preparation and my presentation. And yet it says they didn't believe Jonah, they believed God. He had to have said more to them. He had to have. Because how else would they the weight is on me and my perfect presentation. I don't know how this happened. I don't know. Maybe they knew Jonah was a Jew and they knew who the God of the Jews was. I don't know. Maybe they had tortured 55 other Jews in the last month and every single one of them went out saying the same thing about their God. I don't know. Maybe the whole city of Nineveh had been having weird dreams about an impending end. I don't know. Maybe everywhere they went, they just saw 40 plastered randomly around the city. I don't know, which is the point. You have no idea the work God has been doing before you showed up to say 40 more days. You don't know. I have no idea how much work God has been doing in my grandparent who has been an atheist all of their lives before I showed up to play my part. I have no idea. That's the beauty of understanding in the work of the gospel. Mine is just a small part. Mine is to obey God in doing something he didn't need me for anyway. This is so powerful. I don't know how they knew what they knew. Otherwise, I read a passage like this and I start freaking out like, I've never even thought about adding sackcloth to my gospel presentation, right? And that's one more year of stalling because I need to figure out what sackcloth is. 
I love that God used Jonah. And somehow the Ninevites responded. (laughs) Oh, man. Just play your part. First go, trust his power, and just play your part. And while we're on this, let's also say playing your part may also mean you're going to be the awkward person who goes first. Jesus loves you. She's really weird. And 12 more times, Jesus loves you. Like, man, that reminds me of the weird girl who once said to me, Jesus loves me. Because when I think about sharing the gospel, I'm like, and then I'll see a revival? Like, no. Wait, and then I'll see people wearing potato sacks? Like, no, they may call you Mr. Potato Head and laugh at you. But the point is, I play my part in obedience to what it is that God has called me to do. Jonah thought it was going to be on a three-day assignment, but after one day, revival breaks out in the entire city. Verse number six, this is how the story ends. When Jonah was, um, when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, violent dude, he rose from his throne, took his royal robes off, and covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in dust. This is a proclamation he issued in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish, which tells me Jonah didn't even tell them what God may or may not do. They're saying, who knows? Let's turn, who knows? And my response to this is, poor animals, man. Like, what did they do? Fast is proclaimed over the cats and everything. And they say, let's cry out to God. And as this story wraps up, God hears their cry, and he relents from his anger, and the entire nation is preserved. This is not an excuse to be lazy or unprepared. But I'm saying it is a calling to be done with our excuses when it comes to responding to what it is that Jesus has clearly called us to. And the fact that you can hear me means there is a grace available to you in which Jesus is saying you have ran from the thing I've called you to do and you are still convinced that I care about your porn habit, but I don't care about how much you refuse to share who I am with the people in your world. That is a mistake. In as much as you are not sharing this message with the people in your world, you are running from me and the thing that I'm calling you to. And in my grace, I'm chasing you down and giving you a second opportunity and saying, let's run it back. And let's invite people to go. Just go and start talking and see what happens. Trust my power, see what happens. And know yours is a small part. I'm the one doing the thing. I'm just keen to know what will you do with your second chance to carry my hope to the world around you. And stop acting like not sharing the gospel of Jesus isn't running away from me. And so we're keen to see what Jesus is going to do in us and and through us and 
the work is going to do as we make the most of our second chances. And so, Father, we praise you for the grace that you give us, and we say thank you so much for inviting us and allowing us to be a part of what you're doing in our world. Thank you for the many people in our world that are going to hear about you, as awkwardly as we may say it. Help us to believe you're the one who is changing hearts, and you're the one who is doing the great work. Jesus, help us to believe that you have done a great work on the cross, and now we get to be your mouthpieces. We want to get better at it, but we don't want to wait until we feel better at it to say yes to obedience now. So help us to start wherever we are. Jesus, thank you for your death, your sacrifice, your forgiveness. Help us to carry that forward by your grace. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's message. We hope to see you next Sunday. We would love to personally invite you to one of our services at 9 and 1045 a.m. in the Performing Arts Center in Warsaw Community High School at One Tiger Lane in Warsaw, Indiana. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to subscribe, review, and connect with us on social media by following Mission Point CC. You can also contribute to what God is doing through Mission Point. Simply visit missionpoint.net slash give and give a gift today. Thanks again for joining us. Have a great week.